Hey, lunatics, you're listening to Let the Meat Grass, a podcast exploring real food, broken ecosystems, and a better way to live. I'm Austin Williams, your farmer and podcast host. Before I began farming, I was a public school teacher who had grown up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And if you were like me, you had no idea what was real or who to trust when it came to our food. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you've begun to doubt what huge food corporations are trying to sell you is as healthy as it's cracked up to be. And for good reason. I'm dedicating this show to you, the lunatics, the crazies, who have chosen to opt out, to stray beyond the safe and familiar confines of grocery store walls to support a farmer. And not just any farmer, but a farmer whose mission is to heal the land and nourish the people. You see, conventional farms are dying. We've been losing farmers for well over a century now. When 100% of us eat and only 1% of us farm, we have a math problem. Help me do the math by sticking around, listening closely, and voting with your forks to support real food. See you soon. I drank a lot of pasteurized milk growing up. Milk mustaches and all. I remember a party where my friends attempted the milk challenge. Now, I wasn't stupid enough to try, but the challenge was to drink an entire gallon of milk in under an hour. Winner gets to say, well, he drank a gallon of milk in under an hour. So cue the puking and crying and moaning, of course. Then there was the time in college my friend Larry took a bottle of ghost pepper sauce I was holding and drank about a mouthful. He promptly chugged a gallon and a half of milk and sat on the toilet for three hours. I don't think he knew he'd just completed the milk challenge. He was just in a lot of pain. Long and short of it, milk has been a pretty big part of my life. I snagged a glass every chance I could get growing up. But it wasn't like I had a choice between raw and pasteurized. I just had a choice between different kinds of pasteurized. In my house, there was skim or 2%. Only other families drank whole milk. Only crazy people drank raw milk. When I left my home for college two hours away, I thought I was really being a rebel by only buying whole pasteurized milk. And moreover, I thought I was buying milk that was healthier for me. The word whole brought to mind completeness and unbrokenness, like they hadn't done anything to the milk save expressing it straight from the cow's teat into the jug. Now I know differently. If you've never explored the world of raw foods, let me be your guide. Chief among the most misunderstood and loathed of raw foods is definitely raw milk. It's the only food item banned from interstate commerce by the FDA. Some state legislatures, like Tennessee and Virginia, have tried to make it a criminal act to milk and drink said milk from your own cows. There's a pervasive, generations-deep public fear about milk in its natural state. Why? I mean, I think in large part, no matter how progressive we may think ourselves, we learn what to fear from our parents and grandparents. If our parents don't eat it, neither do we. I mean, growing up, we don't really have a choice, and that unconscious choice continues well into adulthood. As a raw milk dairyman, I've brought it home for my family to try, and only my college-aged brothers are brave enough to taste. Even then, I can tell they are more than a little bit uneasy— and probably lie awake at bed at night, waiting for any unnatural sensations, just hoping they don't come down with typhoid fever or something. But can we just back this up for a second and think about how bizarre this fear of ours is, if we even went back a hundred years? What about a thousand? 
Milk has sustained civilizations from literally the beginnings of agriculture thousands of years ago. When pastoral people like the Laplanders of Scandinavia domesticated semi-wild reindeer, they used them for the milk. The Old Testament Hebrews were promised a land flowing with milk and honey by God. The ancient Egyptians, creators of the most incredible architecture in all antiquity, depicted the constellation of Taurus the bull in the form of a cow's full udder. The Romans increased cultivation of pastures and newly conquered lands for keeping cattle. One of the most eloquent lines ever spoken of raw milk in antiquity was by the Greek poet Pindar in the 5th century BC. To do this quote justice, we need to set the stage. In my mind, Greek poets always composed their odes by the ocean. So, Jeffrey, start us off with some waves. All right. Good. Now, their toga should definitely be swishing as they walk along. So, let's add a little swishing. Good. Good. And lastly, add some Aeolian flutes. Now we're talking. Now I can do the poet Pindar justice. So in one of his odes, as he was walking by the seashore, swishing his toga, and as Aeolian flutes were definitely playing in the background, he said, <clears throat> Rejoice, my friend! Lo, I send you, though at late hour, this honey mixed with white milk. Fringed with the froth of blending, a draught of song conveyed in the breathings of Aeolian flutes. Could anything be more beautiful? To fast forward a little bit, the Spanish brought dairy cows over from Spain in order to conquer the New World. Even our American cities were originally designed with grazing cattle in mind. Founded in 1634, Boston Common still had cattle grazing as late as 1850, and not a few of those were probably dairy cattle. Hopefully it's clear just how uncontroversial raw milk has been for the last couple thousand years or so. But offer an American a glass of raw milk now, and you'd think they're about to go apoplectic or rupture an artery or something. I look at my grandma as the generational tipping point. She grew up in the 1950s and was probably part of the first generation to get preached at by the FDA that science knows best. And science says that raw milk is dangerous. My grandma, born right after World War II, has never had raw milk. My grandpa tried it once from an uncle, but didn't like it. They drank pasteurized milk for their entire lives. For my grandma's parents, raw milk was likely normal. They probably looked for the cream line as an indicator of milk quality when the local dairyman came by their door. But now my grandma only drinks skim. Always has. And so did my mom. And as it follows, so did I. My grandma also told me that she and my grandpa have followed a low-fat diet for their entire married life. This dovetails nicely with the FDA's anti-fat food campaigns from the 1970s onward. Part of the push for homogenization and pasteurized milk was to tailor the milk for the health-conscious crowd who didn't want as much fat in their food. But more on homogenization later. For now, I'm attempting to give you a peek behind the curtain. Few things are more shrouded in secrecy than conventional milk processing. And for the last 70 years or so, fewer and fewer Americans have consistently drank raw milk. It's become a quaint, fading notion associated with the elderly out in the country. I didn't question this cultural tsunami shift for almost 25 years. But now I wonder, 
what is pasteurized homogenized milk? Well, milk is part story and part biotechnology. Part of the answer is simple. The stories we tell ourselves about milk overshadow the missing nutrient value of the food. We get emotional about what's, for many of us, our first food. That's what the advertising agency in charge of the catchy Got Milk slogan thought. Their commercials were successful because they pitched milk's deprivation, imagining how hellish life would be without milk. I mean, imagine a, eating a PB&J sandwich with nothing to chase it down with. They didn't argue for the nutrition of pasteurized milk. They just simply argued that its absence would be terrifying. And they won big time. We'll start with what the cows eat. Eating comes before milking, right? Since conventional dairies use grain to feed their cows, some of it gets moldy. This mold secretes toxic substances called alpha toxins that end up in the milk itself. Best yet, alpha toxins are resistant to pasteurization, sterilization, fermentation, cold storage, freezing, concentrating, or even drying. Long-term exposure of one part per million is enough to cause terminal liver cancer in laboratory animals. Granted, the FDA does enforce pretty strict limits of 0.5 parts per billion of alpha toxins per gallon of milk. And those numbers are actually very different. So to drink enough milk to get one part per million of alpha toxin every day, assuming each container had the maximum allowed limit, you'd have to drink around 2,000 containers of milk a day. That's pretty unlikely. The FDA says it's safe, but the alpha toxins are still in there. And personally, I don't think the words safe and toxicity belong in the same sentence. Conventional farmers feed grain to their cows for a variety of reasons. Chief among them is the desire to produce more milk. While the average grain-fed dairy cow might produce around 6 gallons of milk per day at the height of summer, my grass-fed cows are only producing around 1.5 gallons apiece. Part of the reason I do this is because during a lactation period, a cow has a set amount of vitamins and minerals that she can impart into her milk. You can increase the volume if you feed her grain, but it just spreads those nutrients out over a larger amount of milk. Conventional milk just wouldn't be the same without having drug residues like penicillin either. Penicillin gets excreted directly into the milk since it usually gets injected directly into the mastitis-infected teat of a cow. Granted, conventional dairy farmers won't use the milk from cows they decide to treat for sickness. They'll dump it down the drain and milk the sick cows at the end of the line so that it won't commingle with the untainted milk. If it does somehow make it into their whole batch, when their tanker gets checked for it, they're on the hook for the entire load. And since a full tanker of milk costs around $10,000, they're pretty disincentivized to leave any drug residues. Once a grain-fed cow is eaten, it's ready for milking. It gets expressed straight from the cow's teat through plastic tubing into a bulk tank with the milk from the other hundreds of cows in the herd. Before I even decide to milk a cow, I check its milk for something called mastitis. And mastitis is an infection of one of the cow's quarters in its udder. Ask a mom with a case of mastitis how it feels, and she'll likely tell you it isn't pretty. Anyways, we use the California mastitis test on our farm, and it breaks the cow into five possible groups of subclinical mastitis. There's negative, which is the best, trace, one, two, and three. Anything past three is basically full-blown clinical. The test works by lancing open the somatic cells present in the milk samples from each quarter. Somatic cells are basically white blood cells that show up to fight infection. Inside the somatic cells is a sticky white substance. 
The California test uses a solution that forces the somatic cells to explode their insides. If the solution gets even slightly sticky, it means you have a somatic cell count of 200,000 or more. A trace rating could go as high as 500,000. I dump any milk down the drain, I'm even slightly suspicious has a positive reaction to mastitis. So my milk has under 200,000. The standard for pasteurized milk sold at a grocery store near you? 750,000 somatic cells. Granted, even though they are legally allowed to, the average dairy won't make high milk like this. This is because they also want to sell to milk to the European Union, which has a maximum allowable limit of 400,000 somatic cells. They want to be able to sell to both the U.S. and Europe. In 2018, about 40% of U.S. conventional dairy herds enrolled in a program called Dairy Herd Improvement that tracked average somatic cell count by state. So, this isn't all of them, but this is the, definitely the ones who are interested in getting better. The data ranged very widely, from an average of 411,000 in Arkansas to 156,000 in Vermont. Some states like Colorado never had a single day when the state herd average got above 750,000. Louisiana had 18.7 days above it. The average count for the entire U.S. over the course of the study was 191,000. After milk has been separated into its component parts and before pasteurization, conventional dairy factories will enrich it with protein. As even conventional producers will admit, protein denatures when introduced to heat. That's a fancy way of saying the natural protein in milk becomes much less usable. So they add synthetic protein and vitamins to reinvigorate it. This protein and vitamins actually come from non-fat dried milk. Think about that. They add milk to milk in order to get it as good as milk again. Does that make any sense? I mean, to make skim milk powder, skim milk is forced out of a small hole at high temperatures, and this destroys the nutrients and also forms dangerous nitrates. The cholesterol in the skim milk, which in good form exists in every cell in your body, while helping to digest foods, produce hormones, generate vitamin D, becomes oxidized. Oxidized cholesterol turns cholesterol from something good into something very bad. Oxidized cholesterol tends to wind up blocking your arteries and causing strokes. When milk enters the factory, it gets forcibly separated into its component parts to be homogenized. Most importantly, fat and protein get disconnected. Most of the fat, or cream, is withheld. Dairy companies get more money selling the cream to make ice cream than to leave it in the milk. Whereas our herd of cows average 6 to 8% butterfat, the top threshold for conventional milk factories is a mere 3.5%. No more. A computer ensures that every batch of milk is exactly the same. No variation whatsoever. Milk that gets 3.5% butterfat content doesn't need too much doctoring for color. But low-fat milks do. The low-fat milks have lots of protein but no fat. Which, beyond being completely unnatural tend to look slightly blue, or at least opaque. Some of that wonderfully nutritious non-fat skim milk powder is added at this point for the sole purpose of making the color an easily recognizable white. But, when you remove all the fat, you leave your body with a problem. Your body needs vitamin A to digest protein, and vitamin A resides in milk fats primarily, which normally isn't a problem if you're drinking the fats and the protein in tandem. But if you take the fats away, your body has to find another source for vitamin A. The first and really only source is your liver. Once these stores become depleted, your body becomes much more susceptible to disease. 
Growing children who have access to high-protein, low-fat diets experience spindly growth, poor posture, lack of muscle tone, and poor eyesight. After the pasteurization process, milk gets homogenized. Basically, the milk gets forced through tiny tubes, which shrink the size of the fat globules around 10 times smaller than they were originally. There isn't a lot of peer-reviewed research into what exactly happens, but some of these smaller molecules might not be digested properly and might pass directly into the bloodstream. We don't know for sure. Oh, and the only reason we get homogenized milk is for aesthetic purposes. With all the extra work these scientists put into the milk, you'd think everyone would be able to drink it. But even intolerance to milk is mostly due to pasteurization. Lactose intolerance is often diagnosed as an immutable fact, but really pasteurization kills off the enzymes many people need to digest the milk in the first place. Lactose is milk sugar, and lactase is an enzyme which breaks down lactose into glucose and galactase. Just hang on with me. There won't be too many of these you know, multi-syllable words. Some people can't produce enough lactase on their own to digest the milk before it reaches their large intestine. Both lactose and lactase are present in raw milk, but only lactose is present in pasteurized milk. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Studies have shown that up to 80% of people labeled as lactose intolerant by the medical community don't have any problem consuming raw milk. It's because the lactase enzymes haven't been burned off by pasteurization. Pasteurization is meant to keep us safe. And historically, it definitely had a time and place and purpose in America's history. But it does more than just extend the shelf life of milk. You'd be surprised to know that heating the milk actually destroys the raw milk's ability to keep itself clean. Raw milk has natural germicidal properties. Since it's an active culture, it's fighting to stay good all the time. The two main enzymes responsible for this are lactoperoxidase and lactoferrin. Lactoperoxidase uses free radicals, like heat-seeking missiles, to seek out bad bacteria, and lactoferrin steals iron away from pathogens. It also helps fight gut infections like candida albicans. Both of these enzymes are almost completely killed by pasteurization. Then, milk becomes a sterile fluid that can easily host a number of pathogens like salmonella, campylobacter, listeria, and more. Don't think that salmonella can be transmitted through milk? Ask the estimated 168,000 people in Illinois in 1985 who caught the bug after drinking milk from a specific dairy. They'd tell you otherwise. The salmonella was antibiotic resistant, and the people who had already been taking antibiotics got hit worse than those who weren't. And then on top of all the chemical consequences of pasteurization, there's still human error to contend with. In 1973, toxic flame retardant called PBB was shipped to a Michigan livestock feed plant instead of a mineral supplement. Farmers consequently fed pure PBB straight to their cows. Authorities didn't catch it for more than a year. More than four decades after the fact, in 2014, 60% of Michiganders tested for the 95th percentile of PBB concentrations above the average U.S. population. There's a mass grave in Kalkaska County of diseased animals farmers were forced to shoot and a tall fence meant to keep anyone curious out. It's a physical testament to a system designed for maximum profit and shrouded in secrecy. 
From alpha toxins to penicillin residues, somatic cell counts of 750,000, oxidized cholesterol, vitamin A depletion, liver failure, lactose intolerance, inhibition of germicidal properties, salmonella, and industrial flame retardant, drinking pasteurized milk doesn't come without its own set of risks. Granted, drinking pasture-based raw milk also has its own set of risks. That's why you need to do your part to find a farmer who produces it cleanly. Even though it might sound quaint, if he or she milks old Bessie every morning right into their century-old wooden pail that never gets washed, it isn't sanitary. Find a grass-fed farmer near you today who sells raw milk. Use the Real Milk Finder online, which is a project of the Western A. Price Foundation. Ask these farmers about their grazing management, like how often do their cows get fresh grass, and safety systems, like how often they clean their equipment. Declare today, I will drink raw milk, just like the Laplanders, Israelites, Egyptians, Romans, Greeks, Spanish, and early American colonists. Today wouldn't have been possible without a very well-researched book. Big thanks to Ron Schmid and his book, The Untold Story of Milk. If you were wondering, most of my specific information came from his tireless research. Lunatics of the greater podcast world unite. It's official. The Patreon page for this podcast is up and running. Check for a link in the episode description. Right now, the show is still teeny tiny. Just me in a dark basement in the wee hours of the morning. I need your financial support to keep producing this. If this show means anything to you, if you find some value in it, please consider donating. Maybe you've been enjoying this show since the beginning when I personally told you about it. Maybe you just randomly tripped across the internet and fell face first into it. Maybe you were just spotted by your mom at McDonald's where she ripped the burger out of your mouth, handcuffed you, put you in the backseat of the minivan, and drove at perilously high speeds down the highway, all while blasting this podcast so loud you couldn't tell if I was talking or a banshee was screaming. However you came to find this podcast, your support, any support, would be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode, or want to sponsor a future one, follow me on Twitter at MissouriAustin or shoot me an email to austin at letthemeatgrass.org. I might even include your question, along with my answer, at the end of my next episode. If you live in the Missouri area and want to take the next step in radically protecting the health of you and your family, you can buy some of our pasture-raised food at my friend David's website, fedfromthefarm.com. That's F-E-D fedfromthefarm.com and use the offer code PDCST, like podcast without the vowels, for $10 off your next order. I am shamelessly promoting this, but since I manage this farm and personally take care of the animals, this is the only operation I can wholeheartedly endorse. If you really enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or download it on whatever podcast directory you use. If you're using iTunes and are feeling mighty generous with the next five minutes of your life, please rate it and leave a review. The more reviews I get, the better my chances of being featured in a spotlight. And as self-serving as that sounds, the more attention this podcast gets means that I get to improve the production quality for you. Production assistance was provided by the kissable Kelly Williams. That's my wife. Music was performed by the bodacious Brandon Nelson. If you like Scandinavian folk music, you can find his album Old Yarns by Eloin, that's E-L-O-I-G-N, at Bandcamp. Cover art was drawn by the radical Rebecca Rabin. Fact-checking was done by the daring David Boatwright, and sound engineering was done by the jubilant Jeffrey Hook. 
If you want any of these marvelous people to help you with your projects, just let me know. That's all I have for now. Stay with me, won't you? Thank you.